0: So I told you I'd answer your questions on the topic of divorce and remarriage, that after I did my big, long teaching on the topic, I would dig out difficult, challenging, or just interesting questions to follow up that teaching with. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm finishing up. I've answered a bunch already, and I've got a playlist below with my big teaching and a bunch of answered questions. But I'm following up today because there's five questions left for me to finish this series on this topic and finally be done with what has been a very challenging but also very rewarding area of research, which is divorce and remarriage. I mean, man, it really affects your lives in a very deep way. But I hope I'm helping us be very biblical about it. So today, I'm actually only going to answer four of those questions. The fifth one is coming up in a following video that will be out very soon and that's about polygamy. We'll come back to that a little bit later because I want that to be a standalone video. Hugh Adamson asks, I've heard it said from the pulpit that much of what Jesus said concerning divorce and remarriage was directly addressing Herod and a specific situation. Are there any grounds for this position? This is actually uh, something I've heard taught from the pulpit as well and it made me scratch my head and I think it made you scratch your head most likely and there's good reason for that. Now Herod, for those who don't know, was a total scoundrel. Um, His brother had a wife named Herodias. Yes, weird family, right? And she up and left her husband and then she went to the brother Herod and married him she didn't get a Jewish proper Jewish divorce she did the Greco-Roman thing which was just to leave and that was considered a legitimate divorce in that culture and so then she goes and she marries Herod and this presents two major problems with this relationship And, and you need the background to understand this question one your brother's wife is off limits in the Jewish culture you're not allowed to marry your brother's wife like at all, except in the situation of Leverite marriage, which is not what's happening with Herod. That's like the the one exception. But yeah, she's she's off limits. The second problem with what Herodias did was that to the Jews, this wasn't a legitimate divorce. There's a debate as to whether or not this even counts, because she has, uh, she's supposed to be Jewish, supposed to be part of this sort of royal Jewish family, and then she just leaves, which is not considered a divorce in the Jewish culture. So this was a Roman-Jewish problem that was going on. So it was very scandalous at the time. Now, why do people want to say that what Jesus said and taught about marriage was really just about Herod? I think that when you understand the motive, perhaps, behind this this way of teaching, um, you realize very quickly how problematic it is. Basically, what they want to do is limit the application of Jesus' teaching. So that when he says, like, if you, you know, you leave your spouse, you divorce them, you go marry another except for adultery, And then I I have other exceptions that I think are legitimate and biblically based, but there aren't very many and they don't apply to most situations. But except for those rare scenarios, you go, you divorce, you marry someone else, you've committed adultery according to Jesus. Now, if I say, well, that's just really just about Herod, Herodias, then it really limits the application of Jesus's teaching. It's a simple way to sort of dodge Jesus's broad sweeping statements and to get away from how extreme they are. I think it's clumsy. I don't think it works. And I think I can show you in scripture that you can't interpret it that way. So I will say this Jesus's teaching did include Herod it applied to Herod and Herodias that situation But it wasn't limited to that situation So you can give evidence that it applied to them for instance John the Baptist was killed in a large part because he was preaching directly against this this Inappropriate behavior between Herod and Herodias and that whole situation. It's what largely got him killed some suppose This is actually why the Pharisees were coming to Jesus to ask him about the topic of marriage and divorce It might have been so that they could use his teaching to get him in trouble with Herod But the question they ask isn't about Herod Even if they wanted to use it to get him in trouble with Herod The question they ask is about marriage and divorce in general And Jesus is answering a question about marriage and divorce in general Let's look at the text In Mark 10 verses 11 and 12 it says And he said to them whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, this could have been partly because of Herodias that Jesus adds the phrase, she commits adultery, because this is like exactly the scenario. She left her husband, divorced him in Roman culture, right? And married another, and that was considered adulterous. But of course, he also says the same about the man. And he says it about whoever. It's not limited at all to just Herod. It's a general truth that would apply to Herod but applies to all. So it's not limited. It applies to Herod because it applies to everybody. It applies to Herodias because it applies to everybody. At the time there's this marriage and divorce debate going on amongst the Jewish people and that debate was not about Herod. The debate was about the, the Hillelite and Shimeite school, and I talk about this in the big teaching. But when you see it in that context, you realize there's a larger discussion going on about marriage and divorce in the first century. And if we want to take historical context, we'll realize this is about every marriage. It's not just about one marriage. Now you can actually see this in context in Matthew 19:3, when they're asking Jesus about the question. The, the question itself is not about Herod, the question is about marriage in general. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause. This is about a husband's right to get divorced whenever he wants. Jesus extended the application to men and women. Their question, though, is really about, can you just get divorced whenever you want? Do men basically have a right to divorce whenever they want? And his answer is, no, they don't, and neither do women. Right? Marriage is something that is supposed to be for life, and there are rare exceptions. Now, Jesus' comments in response are actually mostly about men divorcing women, which is not the Herod situation. So in Matthew 19, verses 8 and 9, we read, he said to them because of your hardness of heart Moses allowed you to divorce your wives but from the beginning it was not so and i said to you i say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery so this is really focused on men in general um since they're the only ones that could initiate the divorce right so it was the husband who was always the agent causing the divorce even if he was being in some cases even punished in rare cases by courts requiring him to uh, get a divorce because of his uh, misuse of the wife or something else like that. Now there's another text of scripture that also gives more support for the idea that Jesus's teaching on divorce is meant to apply to all. You can't limit it by saying it was about Herod. It, it, there's, it just doesn't fit any of the scriptures when you look at them carefully. But first Corinthians seven, verse 10 and 11, Paul here is applying Jesus's teaching on marriage and divorce. That's when he says to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. He means it's the Lord who's given the teaching and he is simply uh, restating it and how does he apply Jesus' teaching to all marriages? He says the wife should not separate from her husband but if she does she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife so you can't limit the application by making it about Herod. That's my big concern. Uh, We we limit our understanding of what Jesus means and we limit our ability to to really take seriously Jesus' commands about marriage and divorce if we try to dodge it by saying it's all about Herod. And maybe your pastor didn't do that, Hugh uh, Adamson. Maybe that's the case, but... I think that many do and I've heard it done before so let me answer it that way so if we're following Jesus on this topic then we realize that the vast majority of divorces are actually wrong and that we're morally obligated to actually seek reconciliation and to get back together with that spouse that's the you know and I have a larger teaching with more info on that that you do need we need the whole teaching on this topic but we do need to soak in that real extreme Christian attitude about faithfulness and fidelity to your spouse I mean, how many divorces could actually be avoided if even one of the spouses would radically and totally follow Jesus's command for self-sacrificial love? Now, the next question we have is from Doug Coleman, and it's an insight from the commands given to priests in the Old Testament. And while we're not under the law, we can learn something about what they were commanded that applies specifically to those who want to say that there is no remarriage after divorce. There's just never remarriage. You can't marry somebody else ever at any point. And this verse seems to challenge that. Doug asks, I find Leviticus 21, seven through 15 instructive. This is the regulation regarding who a priest may marry. The priests and high priest are both specifically forbidden from marrying divorced women. The implication is that regular Israelites were permitted to marry divorced women. Otherwise the prohibition special to priests makes no sense. Now I think that this is actually a very good observation and the passage in Leviticus does in fact Forbid them from marrying divorced women. That's true And this is something unique to the priest and that's how it seems in the passage that the rest of the Israelites could marry divorced women And I could actually make this even stronger by not only taking you to Leviticus 21 7 through 15, but also Deuteronomy 24 So we're gonna look at that passage briefly When a man takes a wife and marries her if she then finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house And she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce So she's twice divorced and puts puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife Then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife After she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance It's not a possible scenario if God is forbidding all remarriage because it's only forbidding a special kind of remarriage in fact the, the the forbidden the thing now I'm not saying that we're under the law here I just want to understand how it applied to the Israelites, right? How was it when they were under the law and when they were under the law? It's clear that from the Leviticus passage you mentioned earlier Doug It's clear that they were um, generally able to marry a divorced woman It's also clear that a woman who gets divorced could marry another man Because the only prohibition against remarriage is against her going back to her initial husband after two marriages she couldn't go to the first husband that is That is the thing now some people could say yes, but mike and i've heard this as well But mike um the priests were were giving us the highest calling and we should look at the priests as being our Example of the highest calling and I don't know that we should actually um always do that right like we want to be careful how we do that there is a way to do that but you can't just clumsily grab something that was given to the priest and say it applies to all christians because we're all priests or something like that because priests were not allowed to have blemishes they couldn't be bald and serve as a priest think about that Um, they can't touch dead bodies except if it's a close relative so should christians now not be able to like touch the deceased like working in a morgue or something like that is that something christians can't do they couldn't marry speaking of marriage they couldn't marry a non-virgin they couldn't marry a widow, even a widow, a priest couldn't marry. But I don't know anybody who would put those requirements on Christians today. And so if, unless you're going to take the other two groups they can't marry, then you can't really try to apply this to Christians today. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7.39, he actually says we, that um, that someone who's a, a widow, she could marry whoever she wants only in the Lord. The only requirement is in the Lord. They got to be in the Lord. Not in other words, they're Christians. That's the requirement not uh, that they've never been married or divorced before So I would limit the usefulness of that passage in Leviticus 21, which I I didn't quote But that's because you summarized it. Well, and I would limit the usefulness of it I would just say it's a really big strike against the no remarriage view that is pushed by um, a lot of people that uh, like David Pawson and stuff like that that I think that is an incorrect view that no remarriage view Okay, our next question is kind of a bit of a conundrum and especially those of you who've actually watched my long teaching You're gonna be on track with this. I think you'll be ready for this question But it's about the Deuteronomy 24 passage. I just read earlier and the question is Is that second marriage that we just read about a moment ago in Deuteronomy 24? She gets divorced. She marries another guy. Is that an is that a valid or invalid marriage? Is, Is the Bible trying to imply that that was real or not real? Is that a legitimate marriage? So here's the question and this comes from I Freddy Coco who asks could Deuteronomy still mean the second marriage is invalid and the woman can't go back to her first valid marriage because the second marriage is like adultery or an affair and therefore it is why she has been considered defiled and cannot go back to her husband, her first husband. And um, now l- let me, let me su- suggest this. is There's a good side here with this theory, uh, I Freddy Coco, there's a good th- side of this, which is you're trying to see how this Deuteronomy passage works with all of the rest of Scripture, right? We're trying to harmonize and understand like the full systematic teaching on marriage and divorce in the Bible. In response, though, I'm going to say there's no way that that interpretation works. So consider the following as as I'm going to try to talk you out of thinking that. I know you're just giving it as an idea here. It's not like you're committed to it. Um, But let me try to talk you out of going with it. First off, the Deuteronomy 24 passage I read a moment ago It talks about how the man was to write a certificate of divorce and send her away Right. This is this is the element that God added You know through the law to the process of divorce in the Middle East at the time in the ancient Near East The woman didn't generally get a certificate of divorce and then that gave her less freedoms from that prior husband but the certificate of divorce ultimately severed any power he had over her. So this was elevating her rights. So if God was intending in Deuteronomy to suggest that the divorce didn't work and the next marriage wasn't real, then adding the certificate of divorce, which just legitimized the whole thing and really made her independent from that first husband, was the op- it was like the absolute wrong way to get that message across. In fact, if anything, it seems to give her freedom. It seems to legitimize what has just happened. Also... No original reader would have thought this. Here's the second reason. So the certificate argues against that. Uh, no original reader would have thought this either. If, if you read the passage, it actually seems to indicate, and we'll read it again right now, it seems to indicate that there's a legitimate divorce and a legitimate marriage that happens afterwards. Just look at the terms that are used. If, if it was, if God's trying to argue or teach us that the second marriage is invalid, he doesn't talk about it that way. When a man takes a wife and marries her, okay, we consider these terms to mean they're literally married. And then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Okay, that would be a legitimate divorce. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, right, then this seems to affirm the legitimacy of the second marriage. And the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, which also affirms the legitimacy of the marriage and of the divorce. Not that they were good, just that they were real, just that they really happened. Uh, again, in my larger teaching I talk about the difference between a, a justified divorce and unjustified but they're still divorces So and he puts her in uh, puts it into her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife Then the former husband former husband. He's not even a current husband's so right If the second marriage is invalid Why does god call him a former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife? Okay, so she wouldn't be um just continue to be acknowledged as the ongoing wife but he would have to take her again like get married again after she's been defiled now also uh she's been defiled it doesn't actually say that she's done anything that has defiled anything it's it, she's been defiled it, it's not clear that she's the one that's done the wrong or if the wrong has been done to her it may be that it was done to her in this passage um anyhow so all the terminology seems to affirm the reality of the first the reality of the second marriage, the reality of each divorce. So that's my second argument for why you wouldn't want to go down that route. Also implied is this, that that woman could marry any other man. There's only one man she can't marry, and that's her original husband under this Deuteronomy law, right? That's the first husband. But other men she could obviously marry. They're not forbidden to her. She she could marry other men. It was only the first husband that she was refused. So if she is still married to that first husband, then what she's actually being taught if on your theory in Deuteronomy, what's really being taught is You are still married and there's only one man You're not allowed to be with and that's the guy you're married to right this is Getting the passage upside down and inside out I think you can be with any man except your husband but that doesn't really work And what's worse is the idea that after an affair like if you take Deuteronomy then to be Against all this evidence to be that Now what you have is a situation where after someone has an affair they commit adultery they they have to separate from their current spouse forever and they can never be reconciled and That I don't think is a biblical command. I think that the desire is to seek repentance and forgiveness and restoration So there you go. There's my my argument against that. All right. Our last question is going to be one that I'm not Actually Totally clear on the answer for but I'm going to try to talk you through it walk you through it and see if hopefully even just thinking About the issue will help bring some measure of clarity So Frank Tokars asks the following given the jewish backdrop context Should we also say today that remarrying an ex-spouse who you filed a certificate of divorce for is not allowed? So deuteronomy 24 um, Actually doesn't say quite that so let me let me first say this if you actually get divorced the first thing that we want to see is restoration now if it's an unjustified divorce in Particular we want to see that if it's a justified divorce then that can go a different way But still restoration is a wonderful ideal to look for So first corinthians 7 10 and 11 Here's the teaching to the married I give this charge not I but the Lord the wife should not separate from her husband But if she does she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband That's the general rule and the husband should not divorce his wife And so it's the same rule for him Uh, don't separate but if you do get, re- get restored get remarried now there are you know those exceptions to the rule but that is the rule that is the consideration so yes even if it's a divorce it doesn't mean you can't go back but then there's like a deeper question that Frank might be trying to get at here and that is what if your situation is really kind of identical to the Deuteronomy situation where there isn't just a divorce and you're asking should I try to get reconciled to my spouse which is probably going to be a yes but there's also an issue of a second marriage after the divorce and now you're wondering, okay, my second marriage has ended rightly, wrongly, or by death, or whatever. Um, and maybe that you're, you're looking over there thinking that that's a good option for you. But Deuteronomy seems to forbid exactly that kind of scenario. And I'm a little torn on this. Legitimately, I don't, I don't know the right answer. Um, part of me wants to say, well, we're not under the law. So don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, we're not under the law. But it's not clear to me that this is something that's only for Israel. And I'm I'm, so I just feel a little bit hesitant because there's many of the laws which are just for Israel and I could say I'm not under the law That was for Israel. However There are many of the laws where God speaks like in Leviticus where he speaks in sections and he's talking about How he judges whole nations not just Israel. This is about all of of the world And so there are sections of the law that do apply universally And I think that we should be acknowledging that I have actually have a two-part series on how to understand the Old Testament law You guys can look that up online. It's under that phrase how to understand the Old Testament law and this passage, I'm just not a hundred percent sure about it. And here's one of the reasons why. In Jeremiah, God affirms this. In the book of Jeremiah, he says to Israel that he's 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 divorcing her, and he's he says, you know, if if you came back to me, the lamb would be defiled, but I still say, Come back to me anyways. And so maybe there's a a case there that the law is sort of like a more universal thing because he's applying it in a in a, in that scenario. Or maybe there's a case that Grace and forgiveness and kindness that we can have through Christ can overcome even that and restore even that broken marriage And I just don't know the right answer here Um, so I'm gonna Leave it in your lap to think about that issue I'm feeling pretty good about this marriage and divorce thing in the sense that I feel like I've come to solid biblical answers on Most of the essential questions that I've got around this issue and I hope that I've helped you to come to the same place Next I'm gonna deal with the topic of polygamy if a polygamist gets saved And has multiple wives What do we tell them? What do they do with those wives? And, and that's going to be in the next video in this uh, on this topic that will come out probably in a week. And if you like this kind of thing, uh, I do a variety of biblical thinking online, right? I've, I'm going to be doing uh, Q&A videos, regular Q&A videos every Friday where I take your guys' questions live. I have on on Mondays, it's the Mark series. I'm going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, doing theology and apologetics. And then occasionally I'll throw out another video in the middle of the week, dealing with something much more topically oriented and hopefully helping us to defend Find out that Christianity is true, and then also find out what faithful biblical Christianity really is. So if you like that, then subscribe. My name is Mike Winger, and all this stuff is produced just for your edification, and I hope it blesses you.